The early educational space is growing. Children from three months up to five definitely are ready to learn in today's world. If you want to hear about an emerging brand based on faith, take a listen to my conversation with Frank Terrell, who is the president and co-founder of Neighborhood Kids. Welcome to the Franchise You Podcast, where key industry leaders provide education and inspiration. Here's your host, Dr. Kathy Gosser, the director of the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. So welcome to another episode of Franchise You. And today we're going to talk about a very new brand called Neighborhood Kids. And with me, I have Frank Terrell, who is the co-founder and president of Neighborhood Kids, which is the first faith-based early education franchise. And they're located in Florida. But before that, let's talk a little bit about you, Frank. And so you've had quite a career. Your first 20 years were as an attorney. You are a first-generation Cuban-American and the first in your family to graduate high school, college, and law school. So that is pretty incredible. You had a successful boutique law firm for about 20 years. Then you felt a calling to do something else. And you became a pastor and purchased two preschools. So I'm going to let you tell this marvelous story from here. But first of all, welcome. Thank you so much, Kathy. It's an honor to be with you and your students. And it sounds like you've got my whole life history. So (laughs) I think you got it all. Well, no, you can tell us a little bit more about tell us how you moved from being an attorney to a franchise owner, because that's a leap. It certainly is. You know, I had a dream, as many of your students, I'm, I'm sure, do to to do something with their life at an early age. And my dream when I was a little boy, probably seven to nine years old, was I wanted to be a lawyer. Um, and then that dream came true. I thought I was going to be representing uh, guys that uh, you would find in Miami Vice, drug dealers, and I'd be driving around in a white Ferrari with an alligator briefcase, but that didn't <laughs> quite funny. work out that way. <laughs> but I did uh, have a dream to be an entrepreneur as a lawyer. And uh, that dream came true when I founded Terrell Law, which was a boutique law firm in 1995. So we uh, we led that law firm. It was a successful boutique law firm in Florida for 20 years. And out of that, um, I got involved in my local church on their leadership team. It was a large non-denominational church in South Florida. Mm-hmm. Had some pretty amazing people on that team. I was asked to come on board. Um, did that for seven years. And out of that seven-year experience, Kathy, I really felt the calling to full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. So uh, my wife and I, uh, it's kind of like a movie. We we packed up the uh, the SUV, we sold everything that we had and oh, left gosh. everyone that we knew and moved to a county where we didn't know anyone, <laughs> which wow. was Palm Beach County. And so in 2017, we started a non-denominational church out of a middle school here in Wellington, Florida, and did that for two and a half years. And what's probably uh, a common denominator between our congregation and your students is that they were mostly young adults. And I love encouraging young adults, investing in them, and had a great ride for two and a half years. COVID hit, and that ride (laughs) abruptly ended. I hear you. But the reason, or, or to answer your question, how we got into the early education space was we had purchased these two uh, secular uh, preschools in Wellington mm-hmm. with the intention of utilizing uh, the schools for us to be able to take care of our family because a church of 100 people 
doesn't pay your bills. And we never took a salary from that. But really what ended up happening is after we acquired the two schools and the church shut down, we really realized that the calling ultimately was the schools and not the church. So I often Mm -hmm. say we had to walk in the front door of the church and walk Mm -hmm. out the back door to get to what the real calling was. And that's to encourage, um, inspire young families and their their students from infants to four years old. And so that I think was God's plan all along. I, I just right. didn't know it. I think if had he told me that, I would have said, no, 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 you go choose somebody else because I don't <laughs> that deal. Um, exactly. That that is such an interesting story. You mentioned your wife, it's Olivia, and I know that um she is with you in this endeavor. So that's pretty interesting. I'm always fascinated with people that work with their spouses. My husband has a company, and I'm not sure that would work out well. So why don't you tell us about your roles? Well, I'm the I'm the president of the school. I don't know what that means, but uh, she makes a lot of the decisions. I think a lot of the important strategic decisions. So that you know, changing culture is really you know in any organization it's a challenge. So right. we had to go from a, a culture that wasn't allowed to talk about God or mention prayer or faith, hope, and love slowly to a culture where we embrace that. Mm -hmm. And so my wife, Olivia, who's the vice president of the schools, was really instrumental in that organizational change. And that change was as practical as uh, introducing uniforms, Mm -hmm. uh, a faith-based curriculum, updating all of our our processes and procedures, and really letting the parents know, we're not just going to talk about God, we're going to raise the bar of excellence in these schools the way that you communicate with us, the way that we take care of your kids. And we were able to do that, I think, at a, at a much higher level. And as a result, the schools grew. Um, uh-huh. So we went from two campuses to now we have four. This year, we'll have seven. These are corporate franchises. And out of that experience, and I'm sure you'll have one or two questions, we embarked on the journey of franchising right. last year. Ah, that's going to be a fun one to delve into. So one last question about you, because you've talked a lot about your values and your and your calling and how it brought you here. So how has your legal background really assisted you with this current endeavor? And sounds like Olivia definitely has that culture side down, which is so critical and so difficult. So how does your legal background help you? I think that that leading a professional service firm like a law firm helped from the standpoint of leadership to be able to attract, retain, and develop talent, um, to invest in young leaders to, for example, there was this one lawyer that uh, graduated at the top of her class and she could have worked anywhere she wanted to in South Florida at some of the top multinational firms, but she decided to work for us because we made the commitment to her that we would develop her professionally, that we would spend the time investing and exposing her to things that she would never have an opportunity to do at a large, you know, two, 3,000 member firm. And so for me, the experience was all about leadership development, not only learning myself, but investing in our team and our people. And that directly translates to what we're doing now. So mm-hmm. a lot of the teachers that had tenure with our, our schools as a result of COVID left. And so we had a vacuum. And so that vacuum was filled by young teachers with no experience which forced us to invest in them and to train them, to educate them. And so while they have a lot of potential and potential is good, 
Potential without commitment doesn't get you anywhere. So we had to make a, a personal and professional commitment to develop them. And we're still on that journey, Kathy. And it is paying dividends because parents love the young enthusiasm of young teachers. And so my experience at the law firm in developing young leaders has a direct correlation with what we're doing today. Ah, oh, that's fabulous. And as you mentioned, educating our youth, I mean, what a responsibility that is. And I read some statistics that there are over 22,000 businesses right now in this industry with a revenue of about 15 billion. Wow. And another thing I read that I didn't under I didn't understand until I thought about it was that your industry is really affected by unemployment rates. So can you talk a little bit about the industry as a whole, this early education industry? It's the early education industry in America has gone through one of the most abrupt shifts in decades, specifically 50% of, uh, we'll call them preschools, you know, early education is a euphemism for preschools, but 50% of preschools in America closed down permanently Mm -hmm. uh, as a result of teachers retiring, finding other higher paying professions. Mm -hmm. And that really impacted the space because the larger national brands consolidated. They went in, they bought property, they acquired the schools. And we felt the only way to survive and ultimately thrive was to really focus on growth ourselves. Mm, That totally makes sense. Well, it seems that it's just continuing to grow and be more important, especially as everyone seems to be working these days. So it definitely seems to be something that's needed. So Neighborhood Kids was started in 1978, but you purchased two schools a few years ago, and now you're franchising. So can you share a bit about the early beginnings of Neighborhood Kids and where it is now? Sure. And so in 1978, it started, Wellington, Florida was a little bedroom community, and it has exploded into what is known now as the winter equestrian capital of the world. So you literally have equestrians from South America, all over Europe, really all over the world that come here. And more and more of them are calling Wellington home. So for example, some of our uh, notable residents include Bill Gates, formal uh, mayor of New York, Michael Bloomberg, Jennifer Lopez, um, Bruce Springsteen. So I've not seen them, but I know they're around. I was just going to ask that if you had been, if you had seen them. But but a lot of their a lot of their children are equestrians and and oh. so they they have homes here, um, but really Wellington has emerged as um, a place where people call home. Um, mm-hmm. There's a lot of working class families and there's a lot of affluent families. So it's an interesting mix of two demographics. But neighborhood kids was really adept at serving those populations. And what's interesting, I hope your students will find this interesting. When we took over the schools in 2019, they had no website. Can you believe that? No website, no marketing, nothing to speak of. But what they did have, which a brand would kill for, Kathy, was they had a fierce loyalty to the school. Oh, yes. They loved the school. And And I'll give you an example of that. When we took over the schools in 2019 in October, so many of the families that dropped off their little ones used to crawl around themselves on the ground at the very same school. Oh and that gosh. still happens today. They'll go oh in and gosh. they'll hug some of the teachers and the teacher's like, I really feel old because I used to rock that guy, that that former Marine, I used to rock him to sleep. This six foot two, 250 pound Marine. So it's pretty interesting. There's loyalty there. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
<laughs> I can see that. Oh, that that is great. What a, a strong, strong brand. And so the model for education that you use is called weekday early education. Um, for those of us who really aren't familiar with that, can you tell us what that is? Yeah, so we use a hybrid model of we learn curriculum. So we learn curriculum is, is a curriculum specifically for early childhood students. So in other words, it's as young as two years old, and it goes up to pre-K four. And then there's a faith-based component to it. Um, So we not only teach them how to read, teach them how to write. uh, Phonics is really important. I mean, they really develop the ability to speak, the ability to communicate. They spend more time with us than they do with mom and dad. So we really have an opportunity to mold their young minds. And, you know, 80% of cognitive growth happens in these formative years. So it really gives us an opportunity to to help grow them, inspire them. And so we teach them not only what they would get at any other early childhood education center, but then we talk about things that we think are enduring, Kathy. We talk Mm -hmm. about faith. We talk about hope. We talk about love. So our first value at Neighborhood Kids is love your neighbor as yourself. And so, boy, if we could all do that, wouldn't this be a better place to live uh, Mm -hmm. in this world that we live in? So we talk about love and what that means. And it's not just about being kind. It's really thinking about the other person. How would I want to be treated? And how would I want to be cared for? How would I want to be spoken to? And we give them a sense of identity that, that God loves them just the way that they are. There's no judgment. It's just unconditional love. And if we could impart no other value than love, we feel that we have succeeded in that child's life. You know, you said a couple of things that are quite compelling and also aligned with what was in your FDD. I was, first of all, fascinated that your FDD actually described your brand as you teach kids to help others and give back to their communities. And that is really an incredible statement when you're thinking about kids up to age five. So what you've just said definitely aligns with that. And the fact that these children are really with you more than they are their own parents or guardians. And that's true when it comes to waking hours. So that is quite a responsibility. It sure is. And we feel that. And so that's why we're always thinking about um, how to improve the way that we engage, not only with the students, but really the, the, the previous owner told me, she goes, Frank, you can build nice buildings and you can enhance programs. She said, at the end of the day, your greatest asset are your teachers. Your greatest asset are your educators. And I I think that goes for for early childhood education as much as it goes for universities. I mean, it Mm -hmm. is about your professors. It is Mm -hmm. about your educators because it's how you inspire them to lead the next generation will have a direct impact on what that next generation accomplishes. And it is an honor and a privilege definitely to be in one of those positions, I can tell you. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about why did you decide to franchise your concept? I went to a large educational conference um, in Orlando, Florida, November of 2021, and I met someone. Mm -hmm. And I met a very accomplished lady who had owned 30 preschools in Virginia. Um, She was a C-level executive at, at, at other companies. And the, the moderator, we were in a breakout session, said, Donna, you have to meet Frank. I had never met this lady in my life. And after the session, the two of you need to speak. We think you have something in common. It was a breakout session for early childhood education. So mm-hmm. she came up to me and she, she's dressed very professionally. And I think I was in 
just, I was dressed very casually and and she starts asking me questions like, Frank, you know, what's your dream? What does God put on your heart? And I'm like, oh my gosh, what a question to ask. I just met her. You know, it's, it's that old adage, you know, if you want to, to realize your dreams, you have to verbalize them. You have Mm -hmm. to speak what it is, you know, proclaim what it is that you're, that you're hoping for. And it came out of my mouth, Kathy, for the first time. And, And I said this, I said, Donna, my dream is to have a neighborhood kids school in neighborhoods across America. Mm. She stepped back and looked at me. She said, well, then you have to meet a friend of mine. And the friend of hers was uh, the former executive director of national training and development for Primrose Schools. So Mm -hmm. Primrose Schools is probably the most uh, well-known and um, I I think it's the top brand in our space and in the United States and in North America. So she led the training for 15,000 teachers nationwide. She was with them Mecca Johnson from their growth from 50 locations to 350 locations. Now they're twice that size. Mm-hmm. So that was more than coincidental. Uh, and it was That's more right. than serendipitous. It was, I believe, a, a divinely orchestrated meeting that I would meet Donna, who owned 30 schools, and her best friend was someone that that led at a very high level the premier franchise brand in our industry. Mm-hmm. And so it was through that meeting that those ladies ultimately became part of our leadership team. Ah, that's great. That's great. That does sound like some divine intervention there. And <laughs> Primrose schools are a very top franchise. You're exactly right about that. So that's that's interesting. Let's talk about your franchising model a bit. So you have two options for franchising. You have a permanent lease build out, and then you have a co-location lease within an existing church. Can you talk about those two? Sure. I'll dispense with the second one, the permanent lease model, very quickly. That's what everybody in America does. In other words, if if there's an old Walgreens they want to build out, they can spend several million dollars building that out. Gotcha. Any, any brand offers that, whether it's a Walgreens or a brand new strip mall next to a Whole Foods, all the brands offer that. We are the only brand in America that pairs franchise owners with churches that have existing preschool space that they're not utilizing during the week. No other brand has done that. No other brand is doing that. And there are two significant advantages of that model over any model really in the world. We, we've not heard of it. First, it avoids a multi-million dollar cost or loan to build out that space because the space already exists. Right. Mom and dad or grandma and grandpa, they're, they're at church on a Sunday and the space is already there. So we're right. essentially just utilizing existing space, existing preschool space. And that's a huge win for the franchise owners, for franchisees, Mm -hmm. because they don't have to take out a multi-million dollar SBA loan because the space is already there. The cost of entry is significantly lower. Number one, the timing to market is significantly faster. So Mm -hmm. as opposed to signing up with a national brand, their FDDs say they have two, most of them will say, we have two years to find you a location. Then when they find you a location, what do you have to do? You got to spend another 18 months to two years building out that space. Or longer. Yeah, exactly. Conservatively, it's a four-year process. Mm -hmm. We do our best, Kathy, once the franchise agreement is signed, to place them inside of an established church within 12 months. Wow. So That's a quick turnaround. Someone said, well, you're pioneering, but really it's it's disruptive. It's a disruptive Mm -hmm. strategy. And, And we understand that at some point, we're going to have serious competition. But I think what sets us apart is that we're mission-minded 
and it's a purpose-driven mission. So I think it'll be difficult, not impossible. I'm not, I have no delusions that the bigger brands can't spend money and, and compete, but churches are only going to want to do business with other organizations that have a similar purpose-driven mission. Right. Uh, we partner with all kinds of churches. Uh, so it's non-denominational. It could be Baptist. It could be Presbyterian, Methodist. It's mainline churches. And there's probably 200 different denominations that, that we would partner with. So that's about 80% of the churches in America mm -hmm. um, that we would partner with. And an interesting statistic is over 50% of what are known as mega churches, which is defined by 2,000 members and above, Right. Over 50% of them with multi-million dollar facilities do not have preschool Monday through Friday. The market is huge for this. So, so you're just leveraging that empty asset. Exactly. That's, exactly. Ah, that's brilliant. What a That's a great strategy. And I can think here in Louisville, Kentucky, we have a few of those that I'm sure could be leveraged for that. So let's talk a little bit about some items in your, your FTD that, that are pretty interesting. So one of the things when you think about child care is there is a lot of liability. And, and unfortunately, in today's world, that is something you have to think about. So I noticed that you're very open on your website about, hey, there's a background check fee, because this is important to us. So can you tell us why? I mean, I think we kind of all know, but maybe in your own words, why it's so important to make sure you have the right franchisees in place for your particular franchise model? That's a great question, Kathy. We want to make sure that people are aligned with our values. Um, and, and we're not looking for perfect people because they don't exist, but we are looking for people that are mission minded, whose values are aligned with ours, whose, whose background reflects a commitment to excellence, a commitment to integrity. And so we conduct the background investigation because we understand that we're going to be pairing these franchise owners in established churches. So if there's a church in Louisville that's been around for decades, we want to make sure that the franchise owner that we place in that church is someone that has a good reputation in the community. You know, whether it's a professor or a lawyer or a retired executive or engineer or, or, or someone that owned a body shop that now feels called to, to care for kids, we want to make sure that they're reputable, that their background um, comports with, with a life that, that has been law-abiding, that's been right. honoring to, to, to their profession. So we think background is important, not to, to see what people have done, but just to make sure that, that we're aligned. Um, I think organizational fit is a big predictor of an organization's success. So we just want to make sure that they're a good fit for us and their background might be fine, but then it's, hey, how are we going to get along? It's a 10-year relationship. It's really a marriage. Oh, yeah. And so when conflict comes up, you want to talk about that stuff early on. And I think the part of the background check is what we're doing now, having a conversation. You know what I mean? Can, great. can Kathy trust Frank and can Frank trust Kathy? And for the yeah. most part, a lot of the conversations we've had with the folks that are interested in franchising with us, they line up because people will self-select. They right. know you're faith-based and, and they'll self-select out. They know you're faith-based and they'll contact you. That's right. You know, which leads me into your training just looks so extensive. And I noticed the cost of that was included in the initial franchise fee. But one of the elements of your training that I have not seen with other franchisors is you actually have a four hours, a four hour section of classroom training where you talk about the roles of the franchisor and the franchisee. That is transparency at its best. So can you tell me a little bit of what that's about? I 
did not design that. <laughs> that was that was um, our uh, that was Mecca Johnson. She's spoken to us about the power of authenticity and, and mm. being vulnerable, and she's going to share, you know, without mentioning brands, but just her experience with certain franchisors in America where she's learned from their mistakes and she's been able to sort of speak into that to help them improve. And so she's going to give real life anecdotes of what's worked, what's hasn't in visiting hundreds of franchise locations and really having a relationship with these franchisees, which is really, it's just a wealth of information to have people in a classroom and to speak anecdotally about things that she's actually experienced versus lessons that that she reads out of a book. So we think that that's going to be a really robust and fun discussion that'll really help illuminate what the franchisees are, are, are about to experience. So I have to tell you, I led training and development for a large global brand with thousands of locations. And I wish I had thought of that. When it comes to the new franchisee training, I'm like, that is brilliant. And I can definitely see where a session like that, it would just be so helpful because there were often times where franchisees may say, well, that's what my royalty pays for. And back in the day, I didn't know. I think that is a wonderful addition. I was very impressed with that. So a couple of other questions about your expenses. And let's talk about a little bit about marketing. So you do have an advertising contribution. What do you expect that to include? We expect that to include local advertising and then as we grow national advertising. But that's not something that we would impose in the beginning. We really want to give our franchise owners a break. And we want to give our first 10, so to speak, uh, franchise owners a a real value. So in other words, you mentioned that the training fee is included in the initial franchise fee. That's only for the first few franchise uh, owners. Uh, Most brands, they'll charge 35,000 plus we anticipate charging is significantly less than that mm-hmm. for what we think is best in class training. So uh, in terms of the training, you know, it'll be exclusive after, you know, our first few franchise uh, units are sold. In terms of advertising, same thing. Once the first few units are sold and we have, let's say, uh, a dozen or so, which, you know, that's our goal this year is to sell 12 uh, franchise locations with tw- 12 church partners. That's a lofty goal. but That's big. <laughs> We, we got to go for it. Um, and so once we hit that goal, we will probably uh, start charging a local advertising fee so that all of them can benefit from collaborative advertising, for, from a cooperative advertising effort. Oh, that, oh, that totally makes sense. What is the best way, do you think, for your franchisees to market locally? Digital marketing. Yeah. I'll give you a story. So we bought these schools and in four months, COVID hit. So we went from 250 students to 13 oh, wow. uh, very quickly. And we did something counterintuitive to which I attribute our current growth trend. We decided to update all of our online uh, platforms, including our, our website. And we, we put our foot on the gas in terms of digital marketing. We hired a top tier digital marketing firm and said, this is what we want to do. And I can tell you, Kathy, within nine months of advertising, of really putting ourselves out there when all of the large brands had pulled back, not knowing what the future would hold, we were on a waiting list at our campuses. That's great. It's amazing. And and I can't tell you it's because I I saw the future. I was just desperate that we we needed to get our families back 
And I anticipated, hey, some of them may not come back. So we need new families, you know, to care for. And, and that worked really, really well. And that strategy of digital marketing paired with some local radio and direct mail for your for your first opening day, that has worked very strongly for us. So that's what I would recommend and would even recommend the specific firm that we have because they know our brand already to our franchisees. That's great. You know, that's what franchisees are looking for, that strong support from a franchisor, especially in tough times like COVID. So hats off to you on that. And I saw that you have a few franchisees in Florida now. You mentioned you want 12 more, but you have multiple states that you'd like to go to. So you want to talk another minute about your growth plan? Yes. So, you know, everybody has to have a, a, a I think Good to Great calls it a big, hairy, audacious goal. And yeah. I'm going to say this publicly for the first time. I hope it doesn't come back to me. But, you know, our goal, at least in my in my run here over the next 20 years, is to have a thousand locations oh. all across America. So, oh, wow. Yeah, that's a big goal. <laughs> that's a big goal. But honestly, you know, Kathy, if, if we had a hundred and, and we were impacting families and communities in a significant way, that'd be a win for me if we had a hundred. Um, awesome. So we're currently authorized and licensed, excuse me, registered to to offer franchise opportunities in Florida, in Texas, in Georgia, and soon to be in South Carolina. The common thread between those Southern states are the um, presence of many, many churches mm-hmm. whose doors are empty during the week. So mm-hmm. those Southern states we feel would be our primary market. And there's probably a thousand churches or more just in Texas, Florida, and Georgia alone. Mm-hmm. You're, I think you're right about that. Well, gosh, Frank, I feel like I could talk to you forever. You've had such an interesting career, but now you're on this pathway to growing this franchise. And so if I would ask you so far, what are you most proud of when you look back? The adaptability of our team. So when you have a big vision, people can get lost in that if you forget about your people. So I think I'm mm-hmm. most proud of bringing them along the journey with us so that they feel part of what we're doing. And we give every director at each one of our campuses a pathway to owning a neighborhood kids school. Oh, wow. Oh, that's interesting. And that makes a big difference too. That definitely gets people excited and they want to stay with you. So that is great. That is something to be proud of. So my last question, is there anything you wish you had known? You've just started franchising, but is there anything you wish you had known or anything you'd still like to know when it comes to franchising? I wish I would have known that you don't have to sign long-term contracts with vendors in order to be successful. Um, and, And we did that and and I would have done that differently, Kathy. I, I would have said, you know, what are our needs in terms of marketing? What are our needs in terms of just other other ways to grow the brand? I, I would have rethought that a little bit. And I may have made the same decision, but I suspect that I probably would have paused a little bit because resources for any emerging business, any new business, they're scarce. So you have to be um, you have to be very mindful of your costs up front. That that's what I wish I would have known. That I might have done differently, and and the second part of the question was, you asked me what I would do, what I would like to do in the future. Yeah, what you wish you could know right now. Like, what else do you want to know about franchising? Yeah, I'd want to know um, how to get the message out there that we have something. 
that can radically transform communities. How to do that? Like, how can I get, because I, I believe, Kathy, that if I get in front of 100 potential franchisees that are interested in a faith-based concept, I feel pretty good about my chances of signing up a lot of them. If I can get in front of very reputable churches and their leadership team, I think we have got a really good opportunity to have them take a chance in partnering with us. So it's really exposure to our target audiences. And in our case, we have two. Gotcha. Excellent. Well, Frank, it has been a delight to talk to you about neighborhood kids and your career and your journey. And I wish you great success in the future. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. It's been a great, great honor, Kathy. Franchise U is brought to you by the Yum Center for Global Franchise Excellence at the University of Louisville. For more information on the center, visit business.louisville.edu/yumcgfe. Thank you for listening to Franchise You.